My name is Barb Nangle. I'm the founder of Higher Power Coaching and Consulting, and I want to welcome you to my podcast, Fragmented to Whole, Life Lessons from 12-Step Recovery. This is episode seven, Intensity, Intimacy, and Trust. I'm going to talk about the difference between intensity and intimacy first, because I think that some of us have those two confused, thinking that if you have intensity in your relationship, it must mean there's intimacy. Or at least if there's intensity, it must mean that there's a real important and tight connection. So intensity first. I remember a woman at a meeting once talking about an episode with her boyfriend where she related that she'd literally clung to his ankles, sobbing as he tried to leave. As she sobbed, she was begging him not to leave her. She thought she was in love with him and that the intensity of her feelings for him was proof. At the same time, she knew that clinging to his ankles, sobbing as he tried to leave was not mature adult behavior. I believe because of the things I've experienced, seen, and heard in the rooms of recovery that she mistook the intensity of her feelings for intimacy. That distinction has been really helpful to me in understanding my own development in recovery, and I suspect it will be helpful to others. Drama is a good indicator that you're experiencing intensity as opposed to intimacy. Now on to intimacy. For decades, I craved intimacy. I really didn't understand what it was from an experiential point of view. I just understood it theoretically. To be sure, I knew I didn't really have it. Recovery has taught me that the only way to achieve intimacy is by being vulnerable with others. And that means I have to learn how to trust others. I simply cannot be intimate with another person if I'm not willing or able to be vulnerable with them. I happen to be attracted to men. So all my romantic relationship partners have been men. And I tried to take a shortcut to emotional intimacy with these men by having sex with them pretty early in the relationship. Mind you, I thought I was waiting, but I'd say about three or four weeks of dating is probably the longest I'd ever gone before I was in recovery. I convinced myself that that was, quote, waiting. I now understand that true intimacy is emotional. It's not physical, and you can't shortcut it with physical intimacy. My experience now is that physical intimacy is greatly enhanced by emotional intimacy and that it can enhance emotional intimacy. It just can't come first. Believe me, I've tried for decades in many different relationships. I've heard people use the phrase into me I see when referring to intimacy, but somehow until recently, I always sort of heard and understood that as into me, you see, I, I don't know why, but I thought of it as intimacy means I let you see inside of me, which it does, but somehow I just didn't get the into me, I see thing. But I just had an experience recently that helped me understand why we say into me, I see. I was having a conversation with a client who was trying to get their partner to change their mind and admit that they were wrong. 
The thing is, my client couldn't see that that was what they were trying to do. They believed they were sharing facts with their partner and that what they were saying was correct. And they were doing their partner a favor by enlightening them to the truth. As our conversation progressed and they realized that what they'd really been trying to do was get their partner to admit they were wrong, we talked about the opportunity they now had to discuss all this with their partner so they could choose the vulnerable route and be honest with their partner and share this not so nice thing they realized about themselves, or they could skip it or they could gloss over it. And we realized in the conversation that it is only in relationship with this person they cared deeply about that they would really see what their motives were. We need the reflection of others back to us to really see ourselves. And if we don't feel safe enough to be vulnerable with others, what we get reflected back to us about ourselves will only skim the surface. What I know now is that what I wanted was desperately to be seen, to be known by others. But I was going to be goddamned if I was going to be vulnerable. My life experience had shown me that being vulnerable was very risky. It led to ridicule, humiliation, shame, abandonment, and pain, lots of pain. What I didn't know was that I had not learned to trust people who were trustworthy. I had this weird thing going on where I'd share TMI, too much information, and that was actually before TMI was a saying. And at the same time, I was holding back really important pieces of information about myself, such as my fears, my insecurities, what I really thought, what I really felt. I was sharing things often with people who were untrustworthy, then they'd violate my trust and I'd be mad at them for violating my trust. Some of these people would show me in multiple ways, multiple times that they were untrustworthy and I trust them anyway. I think I was hoping that somehow they'd magically turn into a trustworthy person. Maybe if I just love them enough. I really didn't understand that my part was trusting people who were untrustworthy, which often means trusting people prematurely, but sometimes it means just entirely untrustworthy people. Trust is something that can only build over time. Now that I understand that that was what I was doing, trusting untrustworthy people, I've really learned to trust people who are trustworthy. I've learned to discern this person is trustworthy and that person is not. One of the ways in which I've learned to build trust is to share something a little bit personal and see how the person reacts. If, for example, they start by giving me unsolicited advice, which is something I used to do all the time, by the way, I'm probably not going to trust them, at least not right away. If, on the other hand, they respond with empathy and kindness, I'm more likely to trust them and eventually share a little bit more with them. There are a variety of other ways people can respond that lead to trust for sure, but the other thing they have to do eventually is share something with me. It doesn't have to be tit for tat and every time I share something, they share something too, but it has to average out so that I'm not the only one doing the sharing. 
There are people I know who are really good at deflecting things back to me. When I share something, then ask about them, they somehow manage to turn around the conversation back to me. It's clear they're not going to share anything personal with me. And real intimacy means we are both open to sharing with each other. I'm not the only one sharing personal stuff. There is risk involved in building trust with people. Of course there is. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it. We'd all be vulnerable with people. In the end, I have to remember again that we are all flawed and sometimes make mistakes, which means sometimes I might still trust the wrong person. But once I start to see they're not trustworthy, I'm going to stop trusting them. I'm not going to keep trusting them like I used to, hoping they would magically turn into a trustworthy person. Oh, and by the way, then blame them when they don't. But it's very infrequent for me now to trust folks who are untrustworthy, unlike it used to be when I trusted everyone. For me, building trust and intimacy came first in the rooms of recovery. When we are sharing with each other our worst behaviors, our worst thoughts or fears, it's a pretty bonding experience. Building trust takes time, and for me, it largely comes down to boundaries. In fact, a huge part of my recovery comes down to boundaries. Someone who has well-established boundaries is trustworthy because I know who I'm getting. I know that who they say they are is who they actually are. That's who's going to show up. And that is someone I can be intimate with, someone I can be vulnerable with. And because I now have boundaries and I can trust myself to show up as my full self, other people who are healthy and well-boundaried are more likely to be attracted to me. And I don't just mean romantically. I mean people being drawn to me. And that's actually been the case. I'm attracted to and attractive to a completely different kind of person now that I have some recovery under my belt. And this is why we say don't date for at least a year when you enter recovery. You are going to be a very different person a year from now, if you do the work that is, and therefore will be attractive to and attracted to a very different kind of person than when you first enter recovery. I have now been able to create intimate relationships with others, both in terms of friendships and romantically. Because I have healthy boundaries, I'm able to discern who is trustworthy and then be vulnerable with them. Let them see the real flawed me, or I should say the real flossom me, because I am flawed. And so are you. I'm now not afraid to show that. And I know that just as you are awesome in your flawedness and flawed in your awesomeness, so am I. That's it for today. Be sure to subscribe and like this episode so you can get future episodes. And if you can think of someone who might benefit from hearing this particular episode, please be sure to share it with them. Thanks for listening.